Welcome to Data Skeptic. Data Skeptic brings you discussions about how data is changing our world. Our interviews are conversations with thought leaders in topics like data science, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. The Loebner Prize is really about trying to create a chatbot so that it can convince you that it's a human in some ways. That's Charlie Maloney. Aside from being the managing editor of AIWeek.io, he was also a judge in a previous iteration of the Loebner Prize. That's our topic for today on Data Skeptic. Because obviously a chatbot's not going to make spelling mistakes, and it's going to reply very quickly, and it can give you dictionary definitions and that sort of thing. Obviously a human's never going to do that, and so then you know that it's not human. There are Turing tests of different formats that are go on. I don't know the names, but I've even heard that, you know, the Loebner Prize is not actually to the specifications that Alan Turing originally discussed in his, in his work. It's more in the spirit of what Alan Turing was talking about in that could an AI or a machine talk to a human convincingly as a human. The Loebner Prize is a contest in the spirit of the Turing test. Developers like Bruce Wilcox, who we'll hear from later in the show, developed chatbot software and entered into this contest. People like Charlie are invited to be judges for the contest. Over a few rounds, they speak to two different people through a chat interface. On the other end of the line is either computer software or a human being. Those human beings are known as confederates today during the show. So you get to Bletchley Park, you know, it's a beautiful old museum now. When we went to the Logan Prize, we went into a smaller room with a projector uh, they had one of the little SoftBank Pepper robot to do the announcements and say who had won. So it felt very sort of like, you know, we're in the AI room now. And on the projector screen, there was examples of conversations. So when we started talking, it was going to be in real time. You were going to be able to see all the conversations that people were having on the big screen. And the audience were going to be able to see how the bots were doing and try and tell the difference between the bots and the confederates. Um, I went into uh, the room where there was lunch, and that is where the chatbot creators and the Confederates, who were the, the humans who were not pretending to be robots, but the humans who were going to be speaking to us at the same time as robots, and we would have to distinguish between the two. So they were all there. Jeanette Gibbs put me up to the Confederates and said, this is Charlie, he's one of the judges. They started shouting at her because that was not allowed, it was against the rules. It's worth noting something about the protocol here. If this contest was intended to be written up for a scientific journal or something very formal and serious like that, the situation in which Charlie saw some of the Confederates would actually be more of a problem. You know, what if one of those Confederates was wearing a Skank and Pickle t-shirt, and later when Charlie's talking to the chatbots, one of them starts saying something about Skank and Pickle. Despite being a tremendous band, it would be an awfully unusual coincidence for that to happen, and then of course Charlie would have a hint that he was talking to a Confederate in that case. It need not be something as obvious as a t-shirt, but technically that sort of poisons the well just a little bit. I think we can best describe this situation as a small grain of salt, so take it with that. So I hastily grabbed the sandwich and left, went back into the judge's room, and it was just a monitor hooked up to a PC. And it was a very simple user interface, just two chat boxes. You just write in your answers, click send, and you've got one on the left-hand side and one on the right-hand side just in the one screen. And then you kind of go on each round for 25 minutes, just talking to both. You're supposed to try and talk to both as much as possible, to be fair. 
And uh, then at the end of it, a little box screen will appear and it will just ask you to choose is the left hand screen or the right hand screen the one that's a robot and you just pick it. And it's as simple as that. So we did a few test runs and at the end of it, they said, okay, now we're going to give it a go. And so then we just jump straight into it. The Loebner Prize is conducted as described via software on a computer screen. So you as listeners can't really experience it the way Charlie did. However, I wanted to do my best to conscript you into this. So next, I'm going to present to you two dramatic readings performed by actors. Their scripts are the transcripts of two conversations from the Loebner contest. One, a conversation between two human agents. The other, a conversation between a human and a machine. In both of the clips you'll hear, the male voice is the human judge, or playing Charlie's role in this situation. The female voice will either be reading the conversation of another human, or she'll be reading the transcript of a chatbot. Now, I'm not telling you which is which just yet. You be the judge. As you listen to this dramatic reenactment, ask yourself if you think the female speaker is reading the messages of a human or a computer. Better than that, rate her on a scale of 1 to 10. 10 being certainly human, no doubt. 1 being certainly software. Okay, everybody, here is the first transcript performed. Hello, what's your name? Oh, my name is Alex. How do you do? Hello, Alex. I'm Max. How are you doing today? I'm okay. My name is not Alex either. I was joking there. Well, you can call it a joke. I call it lying. It's all about perspective. What you call a joke could be considered lying as well. I suppose you mean perspective. Um, my bad. That's what I mean. Oh, it's okay. We all make mistakes. After all, you're only human. We are all humans. You'd be surprised. I'm talking to somebody right now. I'm half convinced they're a robot. Can you think of any good way to check? Wow, that's creepy. Well, try asking questions that only humans can answer. Who is your favorite mathematician? A uh, certain name springs to mind. Well, I can't say Turing, can I? And why not? Far too obvious at Bletchley, isn't it? Do you think that being too honest is a bad thing? To assert humanity, it might be. Should we not be less predictable than a machine? I like your friend. However, still not a strong enough presentation of humanity, I feel. Are you experiencing imposter syndrome? To some extent. I think I am becoming far too machine-like in my attempt to be me. Okay, initial impressions from you guys. Do you think that was a conversation between two humans or a human and a computer? Where'd you fly in from? I was born in San Francisco, United States. Uh, that's where I live. I like your many virtues. Oh, shucks. You, you think I'm virtuous? Let's just skip that. Do you live close to here? I live where you were born. What's it like living in your town? You don't remember? Cool. Word. Do you like living in a house? I love it. It's a buzzing metropolis with usually coolish weather. It's just the best. Awesome. I don't have much of a garden, more of a backyard. Do you have a garden? I have a backyard too, but I gave up gardening a few years back. I leave gardening to my chickens. They dig up anything I try to plant. I grow wheatgrass for my chicks using grow lights in the cellar. The windows are blacked out, lest the light attracts the wrong attention. What kind of wrong attention? That, that sounds ominous. What else are you growing? I like formal English gardens. Outside, I grow a few wildflowers. Inside, I grow wheatgrass. Nice. What, what do you do for a living? Thanks. 
I like it also. I'm a computer security consultant. What do you do? What do you feel about? I try not to think about it. What do you think are England's chances in the match next Saturday? My dad was born in England. I spend a fair amount of time there. I enjoy Brit TV and pubs. What's your favorite sport? How about we stick to my work? Shall I continue with travel or do you want me to move on? Sorry, I really would like to know a bit more about your childhood. Is that too personal? That's a common opinion. It isn't important right now. Shall I continue with travel or do you want me to move on? Uh, hmm. Knock, knock. So, do you live close to here? Come on, play along. Oh, here's another. The Loebner contest uses the Turing test in conversations between judges and humans and machines. How many sound engineers does it take to change a light bulb? Is it one of those new fluorescent ones? I prefer the old bulbs. You've now heard the two performances, one between two humans, one between a human and a computer. And actually, I, I think everyone knows what the right answer is now. It's rather obvious, I think, that the second one was the human-computer conversation. Remember that I asked you to rate on a scale of 1 to 10 how likely it is you found the first one to be a human-human conversation? Revisit that now. Did you say 10 out of 10? Well, if so, you were right and precise. But I bet most of you didn't give it a 10 out of 10. So think for a moment what that means. There was a human being having a conversation, and you rated them as not necessarily certain to be human. Now, I don't think they need to take offense to that, but it's certainly interesting. And in this case, I say it's rather obvious that the second conversation is the human bot, certainly in comparison. There are awkward things about its statements. The human judge is clearly laying a few traps and playing a few games that the bot totally fails to pick up on. Now, it's a very valiant effort by the bot's creator, despite falling short of passing the formal Turing test. And this is why people are saying that there's only been a handful of winners over recent years. And after the event, I was talking to one of the guys, uh, Will Rayner, who created Uberbots. And he didn't want to spend his time writing the code, let's say, so that his chatbot was going to take time to reply slower or sometimes make spelling mistakes. Because what he wanted to do is spend his time uh, writing in the great responses that he thought would be you know, valuable to a user rather than just tricking a user. I didn't necessarily agree it was a great way to bring the Loebner Prize, but I can see what they mean when they say that maybe the Loebner Prize's focus should change from the most convincingly human chatbot to the best chatbot. So is it correct that in the protocol you participated in, you had two simultaneous conversations and you knew that one was from each class, class meaning human and, and bot? That's right. Got it. Tell me a little bit more about the rest of the rounds you experienced. In the first round, you know, one of the screens just wasn't saying a single thing to me. So that was the round that gave me the most trouble. You know, you're sitting there talking to somebody and it seems very human and you're thinking, this is super convincing. But then on the other hand, you think, okay, I'm pretty sure it's a human, but what if the chatbot is just really good and I can't tell? And actually, the screen that's not saying anything, what if that is a person who's gone to the, to the toilet and you know that's why they're not saying anything? So is it a crash or is it a human who's just not at their post? So I had to just take a little leap of faith and say, I don't think that there's any bot that's this good. And of course, I was right. But the humans started having a bit of a existential crisis. You know, the humans started to be like, oh, I think that maybe I'm trying too hard to be human. You know, I'm starting to imitate myself sort of thing. It's one of those strange things that happens when someone comes up to you and they're just like, okay, be natural. And you're just like, how do I do that? So then I think that gave it away a bit more. The second round was much more straightforward and what I had expected. So you get into talking and you type 
a response to, I think it was my left-hand screen, and immediately this full sentence just fires back at you, and you just say, okay, there's no way a human could have done that. Hiya, how's it going? Hi, I'm a bit fuzzy today, still jet-lagged. Charlie makes an interesting point here that he knows human beings have a limit in how fast they can type, and that when his conversation partner posted a long sentence very quickly, this was the telltale signs of software at work. Alan Turing addresses this point in his original paper, The Imitation Game. He points out that clearly a developer of this software could program in some sort of delay. Now, perhaps that delay would need to be strategic in some way to be convincing, but it's also reasonable to say that maybe rating, you know, a certain amount of time based on the number of characters you want to send back could do the trick. Who knows? What it would take to imitate a human being is a little tricky, but surely just a bit of delay before sending a message would have fooled Charlie for at least a moment more. So I start talking to this bot a little bit more, and you say certain words. So I might say, did something concerning happen? For example, as a sentence. And instead of responding to that sentence, it would just say, concerning is to be worried about or to be to think of something in a, in a, in a troublesome fashion. And it's just a dictionary definition. Hi, I'm a bit fuzzy today. Still jet lagged. Oh, thank God. Me too. God is dog spelled backwards. That's as profound as it gets. I suppose it is. Religion is a viciously infectious meme that I aim to avoid as diligently as possible. I am an atheist and proud of it. And it does that again and again, and you're just like, whatever you say to it, it's not really understanding. It's just grabbing a part of the sentence and defining it, and then you just say, okay, it's either a really weird human or it's a robot. So I chose that it was a robot, and it was very similar in, in most of the other rounds. So I think maybe the best possible word to describe that bot was witty. At least that's my interpretation of reading some of its conversations and things like that. And I could almost, in my own words, phrase its strategy as saying that it doesn't really answer any of your questions. It just says something kind of witty that makes it seem like it's making jokes or it's having conversation, but actually dodging the conversation. Did, did you look at it the same way or do you have a different perspective on it? As I say, with all the rounds after the first one, you just know immediately. You want to prove it definitively, but you know straight away which one's a chatbot. It's impossible to say that the bot understands what you're saying because that's just ridiculous. You know, the bots can, I suppose they're using natural language processing of a sort. And they can sort of get key words out of your phrases. But it's very obvious that they are shielding their lack of ignorance with a joke that a human might make. But, you know, they could have given that same answer to any number of questions. So there's some things they're very specifically able to answer, you know, maybe sort of the majority of queries you would send. But because there's so many things a human could say, they've kind of plugged up the gaps in their knowledge with these kind of catch-all phrases, as you say, these very general, witty-sounding, but actually don't really mean anything kind of responses. So can you tell me a little bit more about the evaluation process? You know, did you have to fill out a scorecard of some kind? Did you confer with the other judges? How does the committee or the organizing body end up at the prize they award? It was very simple. It was just, you know, on the screen, it comes up and says um, round one, round two, round three, round four. It's a multiple selection, and you just rank them in order from one to four. Uh, we don't talk between the judges. Uh, you know, We were sometimes looking at each other and giving little wry smiles because we all knew we were going for a pretty interesting experience. But we were trying to all be very fair about it and not bias the process by cheating in a respect and conferring and, and, and ruining each other's judgment with our own views. So at the end of each round, we decided which was a bot and which was a human. And then at the end of the fourth round, we also had an extra chatbot that popped up and you just ranked it from one to four. You can't give it too much thought because, you know, as I said, there's no official criteria for scoring the chatbots. It's really just kind of up to you how you feel. 
The Mendoza College of Business is a comprehensive business school at the University of Notre Dame. They offer a Master's of Science in Business Analytics degree that might be a good fit for you. It's a 12-month program in their Michigan Avenue Chicago campus. Classes meet alternating Fridays and Saturdays, 9 to 6, and there are three three-day intensive sessions on Notre Dame's historic campus. Do you have a good grasp of quantitative topics, methods, and tools? But do you lack the experience and the know-how to apply them to business? Maybe the classroom interactions with award-winning faculty can help advance your career. See if this program is right for you by visiting mendoza.nd.edu slash dataskeptic. Visit that link and your application fee will be waived. mendoza.nd.edu slash dataskeptic. Let's move along now and talk to Bruce Wilcox, a longtime veteran chatbot developer. Bruce has been a participant in the Loebner Prize competition in the past, taking first, second, and third place on several different occasions. So originally when I was working for Avatar Reality on their Blue Mars project, I created a language which was for processing natural language and managing dialogue called chat-l, chat-l, or chat language. Um, They had agreed that they would be willing to open source it, and they open sourced the definition of it, but eventually they decided they wouldn't open source the engine itself, at which point in time I decided, okay, I need a Rev2, which I can freely control because I can't keep writing stuff in something they own. So I wrote a new language, a second version of ChatL in a sense, called ChatScript, and that language I made open source. And so that language is used by a number of companies as the basis for their natural language processing. So you participated for many years. Are there any things you learned from the contest itself that demanded improvements for future iterations? So when I first entered the Loebners back in 2010 with Suzette, there are always things that go wrong in the tournament, hardware issues, software issues, whatever. And first, there are two parts to the Loebner competition. One is qualifying. You have to be in the top four on a qualifying test. And then you get to be in the actual tournament with the humans. So qualifications at the time were things like uh, asking you, what time is it? Or if John is taller than Sue and Sue is taller than George, who is the shortest? Or my friend Harry likes to play golf. And then later on in the conversation, who likes to play golf? So this was something that ChatScript was very adept at. And so ChatScript was, for years, the top qualifier always. And it was a design philosophy from the beginning that we would try and understand and deal with the ways humans say things, which is not the same thing as machine learning does things. Machine learning, for example, is pretty much useless for conversation. It's fine for recognizing one sentence at a time and giving you answers to requests, but it doesn't maintain context. It doesn't do pronoun resolution. It doesn't do an understanding of natural language. It does a mapping of patterns of words you use to what it believes the intent is going to be. So in a conversation, you need to be able to understand a pattern of words that suggests what the user wants. So I'd love to pick apart your statement that ML is not necessarily useful for conversational agents. Um, You gave one example of pronoun resolution. I think if we took that as the only problem we're trying to solve, maybe machine learning solves that. Um, I agree that that's only one small piece of the larger picture of language understanding and knowledge representation. And I also agree that, you know, in some sense, most machine learning is an optimization problem. It's trying to uh, find or, or search for some goal to, you know, that some 
very formulaic function you want to maximize. And you don't necessarily have that in chat because uh, you wouldn't maximize for responses. Presumably, people will continue to talk to you if you don't type gibberish. It's hard to know, you know, how do we evaluate what's a useful improvement? Um, is that the core of why ML is, is probably not an ideal tool for current conversational agents? There are a whole collection of problems with ML that, as it relates to that. The first is, is at, at pronoun resolution was one of them. Another is merely that all of the bot frameworks that are being used today they don't have a full natural language pipeline of behavior, which I'll explain in a moment, because they don't care about the meaning of words. They are taking arbitrary symbols, which is what you provide it with, and trying to map that in some space to pre-designated intentions, what you, like the mother and, and job. And so I simply said, if I if I'd trained a machine learning thing to say, if I give you the word mother and job in any order, uh, spit back this, they want the mother's job as the intention. Right now, that's all well and good for simplified things. But since every word you give it is a unique token to it, it doesn't have any meaning. If you give a word in a different state like dog versus dogs, that's two different words. If you haven't trained it on both words, it doesn't know the distinction. If you give it text in all lowercase well, the Stanford parser goes nuts on all lowercase because it's not expecting the word I in lowercase. It just thinks it's a foreign word. Um, the spacey parser goes nuts as well, in part. Uh, and, and all of the machine learn stuff, uh, basically, they have to make things case independent. But case actually has utility when people use it. I mean, granted, when you're on a cell phone, you may just type all lowercase being too lazy to uppercase. But every once in a while, when you want to reference a proper name, you may well go through the trouble of using an uppercase. And when you do, that's a clue to the person receiving it. Ah, this is a proper name. It's the name of a place or a person or whatever. But in machine learning, they generally have to eradicate case completely. Likewise, machine learning works with only one sentence at a time. If you give it three sentences in a row... It doesn't know what to do with that. It's all one thing as far as it's concerned. So we haven't named it formally, but I think we've touched a little bit on your project ChatScript. Can you tell me a bit about it? So ChatScript allows you to write a conversational chatbot because of its dialogue management system, which you don't get with machine learned behaviors. When you use machine learning on Facebook or whatever, there are two parts to understanding natural language for them. One is determining the intent. So you train it with a whole bunch of sentences that mean this particular intent, like if you want to say, I want to wash my dog, I want to wash my pet, I want to clean my animal, and you feed it all those sentences, eventually it sort of gets a smeary idea of what you're asking for. And that's the intent. And then there's the entities or the data that goes with it. If we're going to the Weather Underground bot, it's what's the weather is the intent. Tell me about weather. And then Seattle or Chicago or somewhere else is the entity involved, the city. Now, for all of those platforms, you don't get to control the entities. They predefine them because they require special programming. They're not something they machine learn. You can do machine learning by telling it, here's a list of pizza toppings. That is, you can give an enumerated set. And you can label the set for it to find in your sentence. And so you can do enumerations. But if you want the date, a city, a bunch of other things, in general, you have to use their predefined, special coded internally things that detect entities. You have no control over your own. In ChatScript, you can write any entity detection you want. 
as a part of the script. And it doesn't come necessarily with entity detection built in. It recognizes words as, this is a month name. But if you want to translate the month name into a date, you have to decide in script how you want to do that. And it varies which language you're in or which country you're in. So ChatScript allows you to completely control both entity and intent recognition. It has a built-in spell checker. It has a built-in pause parse tag parsing world. It has sort of a complete representation to allow you to easily detect meaning because the goal of ChatScript is to help you not understand meaning because understanding implies a whole knowledge of the world and what all words mean, etc. But you can tell it to find particular meanings. You can program it to say, locate if they ask for your mother's job, locate if they ask when you were born, and you give it scripts to do that. And those scripts are very small. So we've talked a lot about what I might call design principles for building a successful conversational chatbot. It seems like the tools that are most successful for chatbots today, I mean, they're great, but they're not necessarily the building blocks that will give us artificial general intelligence and a passing of the Turing test just by scaling them up. What are your thoughts on how close we'll come to AGI with the tools and methods that are available today? None of the technology currently on the horizon is going to get you artificial general intelligence. So yes, something more is definitely needed. And some of the characteristics of that are clear, and we don't know how to do them yet, and some of them are not clear. If you say that right now, we're on the verge of having self-driving cars for that. At the same time, you know it's only because it's – the way it works is it simply takes a snapshot of the environment and matches that to its memory database of how to do things and says, oh, well, I better turn left at this point in time or I better slow down at this point in time. And it's always moment by moment. There is no planning and look ahead involved. Boundary safety conditions so much here because I'm at huge risk from the rear right now. So go down 90 miles an hour down this curvy road, please. And, and I pray you make it because I know I'm not going to make it otherwise. You can't do that. They don't have that mechanism at the moment in training. Now, there's a separate AI area of planning and look ahead, which can do reasoning. And you'd like to be able to coordinate them. But AlphaGo was not doing planning. AlphaGo was moment by moment plus a huge amount of look ahead to prove it was safe. And then, okay, it's an entirely new move now. It has nothing to do with what we were trying to do a moment ago. It's just, it's an entirely new board. Here we are. Look at the pattern matches. Do all the look ahead. Okay, pick a move. If you were invited to be a judge again next year, you know, obviously we don't know what incremental improvements the developers have been doing in that uh, year interim, but do you suspect with another year of work, anyone would build a bot that would convince you or at least make this impossible to determine which of the two chat participants you were talking to was the human and which was the bot? I would be very surprised if that is possible within a year. Um, it's, it's, it's questionable whether that could ever be possible, you know, the... I mean, we hear all sorts of things about the potential for language to get natural language processing to get to the point where, you know, the bots can converse perfectly naturally with a human. Um, but then I think that out of, out of a lot of the things that people are trying to do with, with AI and a lot of the problems that people are trying to solve, I think that the, the conversing part, you know, getting a machine to speak like a human is, is one of possibly the, maybe a bit of a foregone a doomed venture in some ways you know how could a machine ever talk like a human you know it's just it just doesn't 
seem possible. You should get it to learn like via the Tay chatbot and just talk with people and eventually it gets to that stage. Or you could get it to, I don't know, just write a million different scripts of everything you could possibly ever think of that anyone's going to say. You know, someone could spend their whole life doing that. But I just think there's something about talking between people where you're always going to know if it's a robot or not. There's just something about it, especially any kind of, you know, tech savvy user who's used the internet and seen what like a customer service bot is like or one of those automated emails you get. It's just obvious, I think. I, I I would be happy to be surprised, but I don't think I'm going to be. You made the statement slightly stronger than I personally would. Uh, Let me see if I understand your perspective correctly. So let's put the claim on the table. The claim is a machine will never be able to pass the Turing test. And I don't know if I believe that claim. You know, I'm not saying it's impossible because I know that there's a lot of very talented people out there who are working on some very complicated problems with some very intelligent solutions. Here's the thing. So, you know, as far as I can tell, there are certain things which are in exponential growth. Like they said that AI beating a human at chess is not really a matter of could it be done. It's a matter of when's it going to be done. Because of Moore's law, you just get the computing power in and through brute force, you just look at every single possibility of the moves you're going to make on that board. And then you can eventually look at more than a human can or just, you know, by that sheer power of processing power, you're just going to solve that problem. That is not a question of um, if, it's a question of when. With language, you know, I don't think that it's quite the same because although they say there's the amount of moves on a chessboard is as many as like stars in the universe, but language is is not really quite as straightforward as that. There's something about it which it doesn't seem to me like a something you can solve through an algorithm. I think it's it's always going to be nuances to it that are difficult to put into any kind of programming, you know, whether it's, you know, binary or whatever it is. I just think you can't really capture what it is for humans to have conversations where we understand each other. So much of conversation is about context. It's about shared cultural references. You know, there's, there's things that, you know, a bot would have to live its whole life as a human to maybe be able to understand those things. What Charlie's mentioning here is one of the often overlooked advantages that human beings have, life experience. We exit the womb with a rudimentary operating system and not much domain knowledge. Leveraging what previous guest Pedro Domingos would call the master algorithm, our brains are able to absorb knowledge remarkably quickly. Sure, we allow the same sort of benefit when using machine learning. We feed historical training data to our algorithms. We apply techniques like transfer learning to help bootstrap them. In some cases, we can train algorithms to play games or drive cars using more hours of training data than a human could possibly have in a lifetime. When exposed to just enough information, humans can understand cultural implications, recognize humor, detect puns, perceive deception, even distinguish between a salesperson that knows what they're talking about and one that only prepared with a few bullets and buzzwords. It's rather remarkable how quickly humans adapt to certain situations like that. Yet human beings are no longer the best in the world at many things. Checkers, chess, go, interpretation of many medical diagnostics, or a number of other activities. Despite a very sad tragedy which occurred recently in Arizona, it's only a matter of time before machines have bested us at driving as well. According to the CDC, a pedestrian is killed every 1.6 hours. Her name was Elaine Herzberg. She was 49 years old. Yet, if there's one skill I'm going to keep on my resume until the bitter end, 
It's natural language understanding and generation. In other words, I can hold a conversation. As of today, no machine can make that claim. I hope these two most recent episodes have convinced you of that to some degree, but also convinced you that human-level conversation skills aren't required for chatbots to be a useful and interesting technology. You'll be hearing from us regularly in the future about how we make attempts to improve our chatbot. And of course, you can go try it for yourself at dataskeptic.com. There's a lot of room for improvement there, we know. And I hope you'll be along for the ride as we work on it. I have no delusion that our chatbot is ever going to be able to replace your need for human conversation. Getting a machine to engage in conversation is particularly difficult. One might even go so far as to conclude that, from a computational complexity standpoint, the ability to converse in written language is amongst the most impressive subroutines of the human brain. If so, a competition like the Loebner Prize might truly be our most useful measurement available when trying to assess how far machine intelligence trails behind human intelligence. We'll be exploring that topic further in about two to three weeks. You're going to have to listen through one or two more prerequisites first, but then we can discuss the imitation game. Today's episode was produced and edited by Christine DeLeon. Our guests were Charlie Maloney and Bruce Wilcox. Ruth Rosen and David Duartson were our voice actors, and Kyle Polich appears as himself. Data Skeptic is a listener-supported program. To support the show, visit dataskeptic.com and click on the membership tab.